Josh Keller, we are so excited to be speaking with you today on the In Production podcast, where we try to provide interesting content for the clientele that we covet so very much. So uh, Josh is the Senior Vice President of Corporate Development and Partnerships at the United Soccer League. So thank you for taking a little time today to speak with me. Absolutely. Thank you, Christine. It's really great to have you, especially because in our pre- podcast interview, you and I got to talk a little bit about the incredible growth that soccer has seen over the last 10 years and to sort of debate a little bit about what the true cause is. So just walk us through the United Soccer League, your league is a relatively new league. And just walk us through your trajectory over the last few years and what you guys are trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny. I've, I've been involved in the game for, I mean, all my life, really, but the pro game for 25 years or so. I've I was fortunate enough to play in the early years of MLS back in the, the late 90s and early 2000s, and then have been involved in the game since that point on the business side. But I guess you could say in one form, the USL was founded back in 1986 by the previous owner of the league. And for many years, it was more of just a, an amateur league, um, you know, various regional leagues across the country trying to keep pro soccer alive. Our current ownership actually ended up buying the league back in 2009 and then relaunched it in 2011. So sort of the the current modern era of USL really started back in 2011. But from that point to today, it's it's really seen tremendous growth. And really, that growth started to take off in around 2014, 2015. You know, at that point, we were at 14 teams in our championship division, which is uh, the Division II league that sits just underneath MLS. Uh, we're now at 31. So we've more yeah, exactly. than guys, you know, in the last six, seven years. We've also launched a Division Three Pro League back in 2019. And, and really the impetus for that was as we were out talking to new markets across the country, we found that there was a real desire and need to bring pro soccer to that market. And, and it's funny because as we've been out on the expansion front, you know, over the last four or five years, we started visiting markets that you wouldn't really associate with pro soccer, you know, your traditional SEC football type markets in the Southeast. Exactly. Yeah. And what we found when we got there is that they wanted soccer, you know, and, and, and I think the trend we're seeing over the last five, 10 years is that soccer in this country has really expanded outside of the major metros, you know, the New York's, the LA's, the Chicago's, the world, and now you're seeing it everywhere. You go to a, a local bar on the weekend in, in any sort of mid-level or, or above city, you're going to find soccer on TV. For me, you know, whatever your kid plays is what they become interested in professionally. And I just want to put that on the table that maybe that's part of the growth that before we move into some other elements of it. Yeah, it, it could be. I'm certainly not discounting that. And I think, you know, as a parent myself, I'm certainly thinking about that more. You know, I've got a 14-year-old son who loves, he loves playing American football. And uh, yeah. And so that's that's something that's definitely on, on my wife and I's mind. Um, so I think that that could certainly play a role. But I think one thing we're seeing is that the fandom that we're seeing at, at our games, at MLS games, at NWSL games, the real growth has been led by that fandom outside of the participants. Soccer participation at the youth level has always been there. Even back when MLS first started, you know, it was very, very high at the youth level. And so those fans have, have, have sort of been there, but I think the real growth over the last five, 10 years has been attracting those fans that, that don't actually play the game. Right, interesting. They just enjoy watching it on TV and, and really there's been so much more access to watching it on TV. So now, you know, the Gen Z generation, they've had pro soccer on TV from when they were born. From day one, they've been able to catch live games, whether it's domestic games or European games, whatever it might be on TV. And so now we're getting those fans that 
haven't even played the game. So yes, I do agree that certainly the dangers maybe in, in American football could play some role, but I think a lot of it is just attracting a sort of a new set of fans. Right. Well, that, which is very exciting. So Josh, two things we wanted to talk about today that we thought would be of interest to the people listening. And one is when I talked to you the other day about, okay, what's the partnerships versus the corporate development? And you explained to me really clearly that there are two arms to what you work on. And one is the national partnerships. So it would be a national lip chipotle or something along those lines. And then the other is your preferred supplier partnerships, which for people in the event industry is of great interest. Now, in production, by the way, is a preferred supplier to the USL. In fact, we actually build soccer stadiums for you. And that's been a great successful partnership because one of the things you told me the other day is you can't build a fan base if you don't have a place for them to play. And it has to be constructed swiftly and it has to be constructed cost-effectively. So the ability for your teams to provide their own soccer stadium you feel has enhanced their ability to grow a fan base. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. So to touch on, on your point, like how we organize our, our partnerships. So yes, on, on the one side, we've got our traditional sort of national sponsorship or national partnership platform where we're going after the major brands to try and bring them in as, as national partners. But really the, the partnership program we've been working on the last three or four years is our preferred supplier program. So just for lack of a better definition, it's, it's really we're out talking to all the companies that provide those products or services our teams need. And then where it makes sense, uh, you know, if we can bring in a best in class vendor in whatever category it might be, we bring them in and, you know, look to make intros or drive business across our league with all of our pro teams. So in production was actually our very first preferred supplier three or four years ago. And, and for good reason is to your point, sort of the, the growth of our league over the last three or four years and where we see the real opportunity moving forward is when our teams can get their own stadiums. You know, having your own stadium versus being a tenant just changes the business model, changes the culture, changes everything about a team in that community. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. But what's interesting also around the partnerships is our company works with a tremendous number of event planners and big events and everything from national horse shows and all kinds of other areas. I don't know that people have really been taking advantage of that preferred supplier arm to both come up with great business partnerships, but also provide additional revenue streams for the person putting it together. So I think it's a great opportunity for people to stop, take a look at your vendors, and then see which ones might be a good partner for you rather than just a purveyor of goods or services. Yeah, yeah. And to that point, when we first started this preferred supplier program, you know, about four years ago, prior to that point, I mean, we were still, you know, recommending companies, you know, if, if one of our new franchises said, oh, do you have a, a good ticketing provider, a good architect, you know, we'd, oh yeah, this team has worked with them. And it was, but it was very informal, you know, so there was sort of no structure around it. But at that point, we knew with all these new expansion teams, especially coming in, you know, that we saw coming in over the next few years that we wanted to formalize the program. So, you know, one where we could go out and really strategically look at the categories that make sense for our teams to bring on a supplier, but two, so that we could formalize like our deliverables to a supplier. So it's not just informal, you know, introduce you when, when we remember it, but more of, hey, if we bring on a supplier, there's going to be very specific opportunities for introduction, direct introductions to team owners, for, you know, webinars, for email outreach, whatever it might be. And so we have these very specific deliverables. So we almost become part of the supplier sales team 
to really get them in front of and give them opportunities with our teams across the board. So I think formalizing that made it more tangible for a lot of the companies that we're talking to and, and has you know, delivered a lot more value. Anything you can say to them if they're just getting started in that for maybe some of the smaller event coordinators? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was really, again, you know, when you're talking to, to a potential partner, that partner needs to understand what they're going to get for their investment. So we wanted to very clearly lay out, you know, hey, you're going to get X number of, of email blasts. You're going to get X number of introductions across the league. You're going to have a speaking opportunity at this event. You know, so like we made it very clear at a minimum what they were going to receive for their investment. And also for us, it helps to, again, formalize what we can do. So it's always top of mind on our side as the property. We know what we need to deliver and, and it's always part of our, you know, our weekly meetings like, hey, did we get this out for that supplier or that supplier? So, yeah. I, you know, just formalizing it delivers more value on both sides and really clears up what the specific deliverables are. Sounds great. Okay. Now, the second thing you and I talked about the other day, which I thought was so relevant because everyone's talking about it, and that is what you call your force for good. And that's where corporations and organizations like yours are putting together a program. And I wanted to center on the impact committee that you've put together, which is an advisory board that's comprised of championship and league one club representatives working to use soccer as a force for social good. Now, first, before we even start with what you guys are doing, let's talk about what made all of you over at the USL think that you needed to work on Force for Good? Was it something you just wanted to do because you're fabulous people and we think you're great? Or is it something that you felt would benefit the organization and your ability to bring in new fans? I mean, how did it come to pass? No, I mean, that's a good question. I think first and foremost, our reasoning for doing what we're doing in the, in the social impact space is not to benefit the league. You know, that's not our primary reason at all. Like we just felt it, one, through conversations with our teams, with our players, with our internal staff, and just the platform that we have as a league and that our teams have as a team in their communities, it was just the right thing to do. You know, with everything going on in, in the world, you know, over the last 12 to 24 months, being in pro sports, you have a unique opportunity as being a voice, you know, in your communities again, it was just the, the right thing to do. So it's, it's sort of been an evolving platform of looking at what's going on, you know, listening. It's been a lot of listening, you know, really interacting with our players, with team owners, with team staff, you know, people at all levels within the, the whole USL ecosystem. Again, continuing that dialogue, you know, so it's not just like, let's hear them once and all right, now we're going to do this. It's, it's more of, here's some ideas we have. What do you guys think? What are you guys seeing now? And, and, and again, ultimately it was just, we knew we had a platform and we wanted to, to do our part. You know, it's funny because if we look historically at all of that, first of all, you're servicing a number of different groups. One is you're servicing your fan base. Two, hopefully. Two, you're servicing uh, the players and the communities that are actually running these league teams, etc. But historically, corporations and organizations have always been profit centers and then what they've done is they set up foundations and the foundations have then served the areas of interest for the constituency that they serve. What we're seeing now is what I consider to be a true megatrend where rather than using separate arms of an organization like yours, you're integrating it into what you actually do. Do you see the difference? 
Yes, somewhat. I mean, I think maybe in the past when you set up a foundation, it's almost like check the box, you know, like, okay, hey, we're exactly we're doing our part, you know, but, um, you know, look, look what we've done. Yep. And, and again, I shouldn't, I shouldn't blanket and say that every organization did that, but certainly that could be, you know, a way that it might've been looked at or perceived in the past. Well, not even challenging their good intent. It's just that that's the way corporations and organizations have been set up in the past. And now we've made this transfer over to we have to integrate it and truly be committed to not only giving money to it, but in addition to that, to actually participating in the cause that we care about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think nowadays, I mean, everything's intertwined because the consumers are, are very smart and very perceptive in terms of if you're not authentic in what you're doing, you're going to be found out very, very quickly, you know, so. Well, you've designated four areas, anti-racism, LGBTQ and advocacy, gender equity, and community engagement. Now, the first three, are, you know, are pretty well known to everybody out there. Community engagement, I think that's a new one. I think that's a unique one. And I think it's so critical because we all know that what we're learning is the true change is made from the ground up. And so the ground up in any kind of change around anti-racism or et cetera would be at the community level. Tell me what that means, community engagement. What are you as the USL doing around community engagement and what are you asking your community to engage in? I think in general, we realize our teams aren't just pro sports franchises. They're community organizations. You know, they're built with the community in mind. Because if they're not, you're not going to attract that fan base and you're not going to get that loyalty. So I think from day one, our teams look at themselves more as community organizations. And so with that, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, they can be a platform for these causes, for, for social good. And, and so you know, at the league level, there's certain initiatives that we're pushing out sort of league wide. You know, recently in the last month, we've launched a, a United Against Racism platform We've launched a Forever Proud platform, you know, which again, United Against Racism, we're, we're highlighting and amplifying those stories of racism and, and, and what, what our players, our fans, our, our teams can do to promote more anti-racist behavior. And then from the, the, the Forever Proud platform, you know, that's a platform that we launched just in the last month here, where again, we're looking at the issues around the LGBTQ plus community, you know, and we're, we're trying to highlight those stories and, and really you know, show inclusion with, with that community. And with that program in particular, a lot of things are done like, oh, this is, it's for this month or that month or whatever it might be. We don't just want to highlight it during one month. That's a platform that we want to have, you know, a year round activation around because that's, it's an issue that shouldn't really just be confined to one month, you know? And so that's why, you know, we've got activities activation throughout the year. And so, the way we're organized, we have these platforms we create at the league level. At the team level, teams can look to support that and, and, and bring some of those initiatives at the local level, or they can do their own, you know, and we'll highlight it from the league level. But I think in general, it's a community engagement. It, it's an ongoing conversation, you know, and for different communities, it might mean different things. Okay. So just between you and me and the 10,000 people who will listen to this over the next three months, um, I'm going to ask a question that's off the record. Um, and that is, okay, you have 31 teams. How do you possibly get 31 buy-ins for a platform this complex? You don't. And I think it's, we're not using a push down approach. Hey, uh -huh. we're launching this from the league. You must do this at, at the team level because we realize each market is different. Right. Each ownership group is different. Each dynamic within the team is different. So 
these platforms we launch at the league level are more highlighting and, and amplifying stories that the teams want to produce at the local level and giving them ideas. So a lot of times we'll say, here's some things you could do if you'd like, here's a toolkit, um, you know, some marketing messaging, whatever it might be that you can use and, and customize in your local market. If you'd like to use it, great. If not, no problem. You know, that's a great template. It's a great template because we also know you can't twist arms about point of view. And what you're doing is a very aggressive, uh, socially relevant point of view. And it's great if you're providing, basically what you're saying is we're giving them the toolbox, they can build whatever whatever they want to build with it. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, we've got teams at all levels of the spectrum. You know, Oakland Roots, you look at them, their whole organization is built on what can they do? How can they use the team to highlight social good in the Oakland community? And they're doing some amazing things and, and they're doing probably way more than, than even the league is doing in their local community. We've got other teams that, that maybe aren't as advanced in terms of this as, as Oakland. And so uh, we can work with those teams and, and provide some good ideas. Again, it's really dependent on the local market. And, and even within the local market, there's, there's local stories, you know, local issues that teams can choose to highlight that might not make sense on a national level, but right. they can activate at the local level. Our job as a league is really to support the teams and, and provide resources and help where we can. Fabulous answer. Really, really strong. So one of the things we talked about, I loved your terminology. Do you remember you talked the other day about spots and dots? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, just walk our, our listenership through spots and dots, because for me, not only was it entertaining, but it was like, wow, a little bit of a, of a forefront. It was also a little bit enlightening to me. Yeah, I think um, when I when I refer to it, it's, it's more of, a, I guess, an old school marketing or advertising term, it, it, you know, just referring to just buying, you know, ad spots or impressions or views and, and not really worrying about sort of the story behind it. It's more of we just got to get our brand out there. So it, it's more just a, a mathematical equation, you know, just getting, you know, what's the viewership? What, what are the impression numbers? I just need to hit a certain benchmark. And while that's certainly still important in any partnership, you know, as we're out talking to brands and agencies, one thing that, that we've heard a lot of over the last 12 months is brands need a lot more than that now. And they're a lot more critical in terms of how they spend their marketing and advertising dollars. And a phrase that we keep hearing a lot of is purpose-driven marketing. So a lot of the brands now start there because they realize their customers need to see that. You know, and, and also, and again, not just saying that's the only reason they're doing it. Certainly there's, there's mission and values within these brands, but customers want to see that brands are taking action, right. putting their, their money where their mouth is, you know, and, and, and actually doing action around sort of the, the mission and the values that they're saying out in the marketing space. So when we talk to brands, they're very interested in what we're doing in the social impact space. We're not necessarily looking to do that stuff just to bring in revenue, if a brand can come in and with their resources, support what we're doing, amplify what we're doing, I think that's a, a great win-win. Fabulous. Look, we went through a lot today. I can't thank you enough for taking this extra time. But I think what's wonderful about all of this is, isn't it a much more interesting world when we're doing more than just one thing that supports the tunnel vision of whatever it is that brings us income development? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's... Um now when we're putting together proposals, when we're putting together thought starter presentations for brands, it's a lot more creative. It's not just, okay, we can get you 
10 commercials and five social media posts. It's more of what's the story behind it? You know, how can we integrate that brand into what we're doing and meet their objectives and sort of what they're looking to do? And, you know, that's the fun part, you know, in marketing, you know, it's not just a check the box type situation. I know, exactly. You got to be very creative and, and, you know, align your objectives with the brand's objectives. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different world. It is. So how many new stadiums are you guys in the works with right now? Wow. Well, timely question, actually. And I, I don't know when this goes out. I know today is May 20th, but this weekend, tomorrow, Friday night, we have the brand, uh, the grand opening of Colorado Springs, uh, Widener Field, which is a 8,000 seat, $40 million stadium they've been working on for two or three years. It's going to be fantastic right in downtown Colorado Springs. You know, this year we've launched Phoenix Rising as a new stadium. Charlotte's opening a new stadium. So that's three that just this season, but we've got well, you know, we've announced Queensboro. Uh, they're doing a stadium at York College. Uh, South Georgia Tormenta down near uh, in Statesboro, Georgia is opening a new stadium next year. Fresno, our Central Valley Fuego new team is opening a new stadium, Northern Colorado. And then there's another probably 10 to 12 uh, that we have in the pipeline for the next two to three years. It's it's really a, a crazy time in terms of stadium build for USL. And, and I think that's just a, a trend we love to see at the league level. So Josh, did you have those names all in front of you or did they, or did you, or were those in your mind? I just need to know if you read them off or if you actually had those at your finger. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I took a few notes, just to generate a couple of names, but yeah. uh, as part of my role, um, I get pretty used to rattling these off. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Well done. You know, I'm going to give you a recipe if I ever need one remembered, but um, thanks for taking this time today. I hope you'll come back further along. The other reason I hope you'll come back is because I'm thinking of all these stadiums, 8,000 people, and we know that there's going to be sort of leveling in for when we get back to truly have 8,000 people sitting next to each other, smiling at strangers and sharing. We know it's in front of us, but let's talk again in a few months and see how that has all gone. No, I would love it, Christine, and thank you for bringing me on today. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.